Good to camp blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph. Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. From the darkest corners of Chicago, this is the Unenthusiastic Critics Halloween Movie Marathon. Hello everyone and welcome to the Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is our harbinger of doom, my lovely wife Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Am I on speakerphone? <laughs> you are in fact on speakerphone. <laughs> on this week's episode, we're continuing our 2018 Halloween movie marathon with a double feature of dismembered teenagers as we sit down for Nakia's first viewing of 1980's Friday the 13th and 1983's Sleepaway Camp. Is Friday the 13th the one with the ch 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 That one? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. I vaguely know what that is. Okay. Oh, you know what would be good? Oh. If you made a remix of that, a mashup, I guess it would be called, of that and the, I don't know what it's called, but it's like the the race song. Do, 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 do. Are you doing the chariots, are you doing the chariots yes, of fire that. theme? I think if you mash those up, I think it could work. <laughs> I just, th I think that's a brilliant idea. Okay, we'll get on that. <laughs> okay, so we've got two films to watch this week, uh, so let's jump right in. What, besides the theme music, do you know about <laughs> either of these films? Uh, well, the second one, I don't, I've never heard any, I, I have no idea what that's about, I've okay. never heard of it. The other one, I know the thing, uh, <laughs> and then he wears a ski mask, I believe. It's no. a hockey mask hockey that mask. you're picturing one of Jason. The, one of those sports I don't care about. And... <laughs> Skiing, hockey. <laughs> one of those cold weather sports. They're all the same to you. And, uh, yeah, and he stabs a lot of people. That's all I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so are, are you a fan of the slasher film in general? I mean, I'm not a fan of horror films in general, so I'm not really a fan of any subset of horror films. No, because usually it's, you know... Dumb teenagers doing dumb shit and getting stabbed. For most of the time, I'm sitting there being like, run, bitch. And it's just... Because <laughs> somebody has to get pretty close up on you to stab you, so... Yeah, these are not snipers. Right. These are... You've made some poor choices yeah. if somebody's <laughs> close enough to cut you up. So I, I'm not... I tend not to be a fan, no. Okay, so let's let's talk about some definitions here. So I, the definition, I think, is pretty loose, but... On a website called, appropriately enough, The Final Girl, I found a helpful article titled, What is a Slasher Film? Mm. Uh, I couldn't find an author attribution on the site, but I will link to the article in the show notes. But this article breaks down various more scholarly writings on the genre. There are scholarly writings on there the genre? There are many scholarly writings. Okay. But it proposes some basic primary components of the slasher film formula. Mm-hmm. This article says the primary essential elements to be considered a slasher film are a killer stalks a group of people, mm -hmm. the killer uses a weapon or weapons other than a gun, the majority of kills are sudden with limited suffering. The emphasis is on killing, not suffering, which I think is an, hmm. an important point because that distinguishes them from exploitation, torture, torture porn, porn kind right. of films. 
Um, and then the movie was released during or after 1974. I don't know how they arrived at that date, because there are films earlier than that that I would call slasher films. Um, and then the article says there are secondary elements which must not strictly be present, but at least a few of them should be present. So the movie takes place in an isolated, non-urban setting. Mistake number one. The killer's identity is hidden or unknown to the victims, at least initially. The victims are representative of the target audience. So not usually black people though, or any not usually but no, it's usually <laughs> white teenagers going to see white teenagers get All killed. Heteronormative white children, yes. <laughs> uh, the victims participate in leisure activities before the killing begins. <laughs> Sex and pot smoking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The kills are creative or elaborate. Uh, the victims are killed one by one, which is I guess versus. You well, know, if you get like a long mass sort of spit thing, you can kebab. You take out two or three sure, at, at a time. All right. Uh, the body count exceeds three. Oh. This, this article thinks three is the minimum. Well, three is the magic number. <laughs> and in the end, only a small group of survivors remain. Often, only one. Often, a woman. The final girl. The one that falls down in the woods. She falls down, but she gets up and she manages to stay alive by. Not having sex, usually. Mm. Mm. Okay, so, uh, you know, we let's talk a little history of this fabulous genre here. Okay. Though the 1980s are unquestionably the golden age of slasher films, they were not a wholly new phenomenon. We can go back to stuff like Agatha Christie's and then there were none. We'll check off a lot of the boxes on that list we just read of mm-hmm. requirements. One could argue that the cinematic slasher film age properly began in 1960 with the release of two horror masterpieces, Michael Powell's Peeping Tom and Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. That's what I thought of when you said, the first time you said slasher, I thought of... Of Psycho. Of Psycho. Yeah. Then I'm not sure. It it may not meet the body count requirement. There's only a couple of people get killed in that movie, although whether Norman has been hacking up people in that motel for years, I'm not sure. That sound effect, is that used anywhere else? Because anytime I think about slasher films and knifing, I hear... (laughs) (laughs) Is it actually used anywhere else other than... I mean, I think probably variations of it have been used. But no, that score is pretty <laughs> iconic, and yeah. Okay. <laughs> we talked last week about Gialli films mm-hmm. from Italy, and I think a lot of those would qualify as slasher films. A lot of those movies made during the 60s and 70s. In America, I think in the 70s, we were seeing a lot of those, like we were just talking about, the sort of really brutal, sort of grindhouse mm-hmm. exploitation films. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Hills Have Eyes, The Last House on the Left, I Spit on Your Grave. <laughs> I think those kind of set the stage for the slasher boom in the 80s. But those were, they were way more brutal. They were way more of a niche market, almost, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of underground films. They were not mainstream products. Um, And then two films, Bob Clark's Black Christmas in 1974 and John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978, really launched the slasher films as a mainstream experience. Halloween, which we watched Mm -hmm. for this series on the blog, was the breakthrough film. Uh, Made on a $300,000 budget, it grossed over $70 million at the box office, becoming at the time, and for decades after, the most profitable independent film of all time. But Friday the 13th, which we're going to watch today, is, for better or worse, a landmark film in this story. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Director Sean S. Cunningham, who had produced Grindhouse Nasty, The Last House on the Left in the 1970s, saw the success of Halloween and basically said to himself, hey, I can... I can do that. ...do that and cash in on this. He apparently came up with the title first, and in part because he thought, surely someone has used this title before. (laughs) He took a full-page ad out in Variety with just the logo and the tagline, the most terrifying horror movie of all time. He didn't even have a script at that point. He had no idea what this movie was going to be. But he wanted to, you know, generate buzz for it. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to see if anyone was going to come forward and say, hey, you can't call the movie that. Uh, No one did. So he went forward, shot for a paltry budget of $550,000 at the Boy Scout camp he had attended as a child. Friday the 13th ended up taking $39 million at the box office and, of course, would go on to spawn 10 sequels and one remake with a combined domestic gross of $380 million. You have not seen any of the Friday the 13th movies. No, I don't need any. I I don't need that in my life. (laughs) Okay. So I think even more than Halloween, which is an infinitely superior film. (laughs) I think Friday the 13th is the film that sort of solidified the slasher film Mm -hmm. formula. And I would also argue that its lasting influence and legacy is the realization on the part of Hollywood that these movies didn't necessarily have to be good to make a lot of money. This is not making me want to watch it. (laughs) I mean, not everyone could do what John Carpenter had done in Halloween. Right. I think Friday the 13th made them realize that not everyone had to. You could just make one of these movies. As long as a lot of people got cut up, (laughs) kids would go see it, and you could make a lot of money. In the wake of Friday the 13th, trend-conscious studios were inspired to slash for cash, and theaters and drive-ins were flooded with cheap knockoffs of teenagers being knocked off. That same year, we saw He Knows You're Alone, Don't Go in the House, Terror Train, Silent Scream, Maniac, Prom Night, and many others. So many of those films were coming out that year that it inspired Siskel and Ebert to do a special episode of their TV show Sneak Previews entitled Women in Danger, (laughs) which was all about slamming this disturbing new trend of movies. They hated these movies. They were very reactionary in thinking these movies were bad for the world. These films hate women, Ebert said, and unfortunately the audiences that go to them don't seem to like women either. He suggested that people who enjoyed these movies were sort of unregistered sex offenders. Wow. Like, it was, yes, this this episode is very reactionary against this disturbing new trend. I think they were just, as critics, sick of having to go see them. <laughs> Um, They called the makers of these things sleaze merchants. They objected to the fact that the camera was frequently from the point of view of the killer, effectively asking the audience to identify with the figure that was slaughtering Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. They saw this trend as a backlash to the women's movement, so that women were getting punished for being independent, liberated, and sexually empowered. Yeah, they were not fans. And in in fairness to Siskel and Ebert, I will say they actually both really liked Halloween. Okay. They thought that was a great movie, which I think it's a great movie too. Mm-hmm. So they they were they were making a distinction between movies made with care and craft and movies in which like in Halloween your sympathies are entirely with Jamie Lee Curtis. Right, right. And she's a real character and she's empowered and she has agency. Um she has said 
she was quoted as saying, I try to point out the irony that in those quote-unquote exploitation movies, I was intelligent, forthright, and fought back against adversity. She basically says, like, that was the best role she ever had. Mm. And I think that's true, and I think there is a different, there's a distinction to be made between a movie like Halloween and some of these just cheap TNA movies in which a lot of women who are nude or in their underwear are just getting sliced stabbed. Right, stabbed, right, yeah. I mean, yeah, I saw both Scream, I think I only saw the first one, mm-hmm. and I Know What You Did Last Summer, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, so that's sort of a late stage slasher film. Right. Very self-aware. Yeah, very sort of tongue-in-cheek about it. Right. The formula. Um, but even in that, it felt a little gross. You know, you have the sort of hot chicks that are basically just there for body count. And I remember the scene in I Know What You Did Last Summer in particular where, like, Jennifer Love Hewitt is, like, screaming out at the murderer and she's wearing this, like, spaghetti strap sort of top. (laughs) And she's screaming and her body's just sort of... And so you're just looking at her boobs and she's Uh like, come and get me or whatever it is that she's screaming. And it's just like, this is, you know, really ridiculous. Um, Now, whether, you know, these films are sort of training grounds for sexual harassers, I, like, that's... (laughs) That's, you know... A question for somebody's psychiatrist. But I do think there's something to be said about a culture that sort of finds entertainment in the pain of women, particularly the pain of beautiful women. Mm-hmm. Because wasn't, weren't the killers in um, Scream, wasn't, didn't it end up being like her boyfriend or something was yes. the one that was doing it? Yes. And I don't remember what the motivation behind it was. If for were... fun. They, oh, were, okay. they were just doing it for fun. So there you go. They were doing it because they'd seen too many horror movies. <laughs> So proving Ebert's point, <laughs> Proving then. Ebert's okay. point, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, you know, there there could be a question about, you know, why why are we, as a culture, so sort of attracted to that right. dynamic. But, yeah. So. Anyway, <laughs> the phenomenon arguably reached its saturation point in 1981, when, in addition to Halloween 2 and Friday the 13th Part 2, audiences could enjoy watching teenagers get hacked pieces in My Bloody Valentine, The Prowler, Happy Birthday to Me, The Burning, The Fun House, Graduation Day, Hell Night, Night School, <laughs> Student Bodies, and many other forgettable but highly profitable films. Throughout the early 80s, the studios continued to churn out cheap slasher films. Um, I think every time the genre started to die out, it would get a sudden infusion of life, like Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street in Mm -hmm. 1984, which led to untold sequels and a bunch of imitators. In the 90s, the slasher film seemed to be dead, and then Wes Craven brought it back again with Scream, leading to a whole second wave of sort of self-aware slasher films, like I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, etc., etc. The 2000s saw its own wave of slasher and slasher-adjacent films, including remakes of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Black Christmas, When a Stranger Calls, Prom Night, My Bloody Valentine, The Last House on the Left, Sorority Row, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, among many others. Um, And in two weeks, David Gordon Green's canonical sequel to Halloween, titled, logically if confusingly, Halloween, (laughs) will be opening in theaters. And Jamie Lee's coming back for that, too. Jamie Lee is coming back, and apparently they're ignoring all the other sequels. It's This is just... Because they were trash? Yeah, exactly. Okay, Okay, so let's circle back to these two films we're we're watching today. And this is the part where I try to justify making you watch two films that I have already sort of admitted are not great movies. Mm -hmm. So the first one, I think, is self-explanatory. I think Friday the 13th is iconic, for better or worse. Sleepaway Camp. 
is... So it came out in 1983. Obviously, it's one of Friday the 13th's obvious derivatives. Okay. It is less known. It was less successful. But to me, it is a far more interesting film. It is a film that, for reasons that will become clear after you watch it, has earned a very special footnote in horror film history. It kind of has a notorious reputation this among just making me horror nervous. aficionados. <laughs> And I, I actually think we are going to enjoy discussing that film more than we do Friday the 13th. Okay. And if nothing else, I just, I, I need you to be aware of this film, that it exists. I need this film to be part of our shared vocabulary when we're making references. <laughs> you will see why. Okay. <laughs> okay. Both of these films are available for streaming rental on Amazon, iTunes, and other sites. And when we get back, we are going to discuss them both in full spoilerific glory. So go watch them now. Up first is Friday the 13th. Are you ready? No. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Friday the 13th. You may only see it once, but that will be enough. Friday the 13th. Rated R. Okay, during the break, Nikki and I watched our slasher film double feature of Friday the 13th and Sleepaway Camp. We are going to discuss these one at a time. And though Nakia is still reeling from her viewing of Sleepaway Camp, we are going to start out with Friday the 13th. Maybe one way to start with this is to look at a review. I mentioned earlier that Siskel and Ebert dedicated an entire episode of their TV show to encouraging people not to see these movies. Mm -hmm. Gene Siskel, in his review in the Chicago Tribune of Friday the 13th, went further than that. I have never read a review like this. Okay. I've written some bad reviews this is further than I would ever dare go, and he did it in a national newspaper. <laughs> he was so determined to dissuade people from seeing this movie, he began the review by spoiling the ending. Well done. He, you know, told you who the murderer was, why <laughs> the murderer was murdering people. He said, there, that's out of the way, now you don't have to see this movie. He referred to the director, Sean S. Cunningham, as one of the most despicable creatures ever to infest the movie business. He ended the review providing the contact information for the chairman of the studio and Betsy Palmer, who plays Mrs. Voorhees, in the movie, encouraging readers to write and complain to them. Was that the first doxing? About the movie. <laughs> he sort of doxed them. Wow. Yeah. He was not a fan of this movie. <laughs> and it's kind of funny now because it, I'm guessing it probably didn't strike you as that extreme. No. I mean, it was bad in the way that a lot of horror films are bad. Right. I wouldn't be like, you need to call the director and the actress and be like, this shit has unleashed <laughs> evil on the world. Like, you know, I, you could direct that to some senators, but I don't know that I would have gone that far. No. But looking back, I'm, I'm sort of wondering if they didn't have a point. They may have recognized this as a line in the sand mm. in terms of, again, there had been plenty of really violent 
brutal horror movies, but they were mostly small, independent. Mm -hmm. They were not huge studio releases with big budgets. Mm -hmm. And I I think they must have just recognized this as a line in the sand, (laughs) in that if this movie is successful, we're just going to have... We're doomed. Right. The movie industry is just going down a road from which there is no turning. And I think they were sort of right. See, I would have said that about Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Birth of a Nation. I mean, there are other, like, this is bad for uh, for the earth. So, yeah, I mean, but I respect their opinions, and it, it is not a great movie. No, it is not. And again, <laughs> they like Halloween. Like, their issue is not even with the slasher genre. It's not even... This particular iteration. It, it's yeah. just this particular kind of yeah. movie in which there's really not a lot of craft there's no. really not a lot of character no we're really just lining people up to be murdered to be murdered yes and that's all there is to the movie yeah he said there is nothing to friday the 13th other than its sickening attack scenes remove them and you're left with an empty movie it's sort of hard to argue with yeah that's about right <laughs> all right so what did you make of this movie i didn't like it um yeah. It's it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. I didn't find it particularly scary, Mm -mm. really. And it really is, let's find some sort of convoluted way to put this woman in her underwear and then have her go outside in the rain to be murdered. So... (laughs) There are a lot of not very imaginative ways to get women into their underwear. So... Let's play Strip Monopoly. which is not a game. (laughs) Monopoly's like three fucking hours long. How are you incorporating Strip Monopoly? I just didn't even understand that. Yeah, I I didn't enjoy it. Like, as I said in the review, I mean, there's a very bare-bones plot, which is... Spoiler alert, Mrs. Voorhees, Jason's mother, is acting out vengeance against camp counselors because they let her son drown years right. ago because they were too busy having sex. Right. So now she's killing all the camp counselors. And so I didn't think the kills were particularly that interesting for it to just really be about let's rack up a body count. I didn't find any of them particularly gruesome or interesting. Like Suspiria had some good kills. Suspiria has some great kills very artfully right done. so if you're gonna do that then sort of be interesting with it or find i mean again I, I think this did have more gruesome kills than most mainstream movies i mean the it's there was a lot of blood but that I doesn't make the, it interesting the arrowhead through kevin bacon's not, throat it was a lot of throat slitting of right a lot of arrows like okay and then the big reveal that it's mrs Voorhees, this like sort of middle-aged mom well that must have surprised you it did. Okay, so that, yes. So the one surprise, and that's, I mean, I'm sure everyone at this point knew that, but that I didn't realize that Jason doesn't show up right. in the first film, that this is about his mother. Right. And in fact, Jason does not get his iconic hockey mask until the third movie. Interesting. So he's, Jason, and I barely remember, and I'm not sure I've seen all of them, mm-hmm. but Jason is the killer in the second movie, but... I, I think he wears, like, a burlap sack over his head or something. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't... And then in the third movie, he comes across a hockey mask and puts it on. And, and then like, that becomes oh, this is it. the branding. This is the look. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but at the end, when she's having the sort of pivotal fight with 
the quote-unquote last girl. Yes, Alice. Alice. And you see them fighting. You're just like, how is it that she killed all these people? Because Alice is sort of whooping her ass a little bit. Right. Alice, like, hits her in the crotch right. with a shovel or, or something. punches her and, in the right. face. And yeah. so I'm just like, how is it that this woman... Well, part of that is she didn't monologue to all the other people. <laughs> Not and that that's, we saw. Like, and I'm not sure why she does to Alice. Just yeah. because she's the last one, she's like, oh, I have to tell somebody why I'm sure. doing this. Sure. Like, everybody else, she just snuck up on and whacked him in the head <laughs> with an axe. Like, why are you telling your story to this woman? That's true. I still feel like somebody could have gotten a good, couple good licks there. Well, I mean, no. Kevin Bacon. Well, no, Kevin Bacon was dead. Post-coital yeah, Kevin Bacon is lying was there die. in that stupor of... He was absolutely going to die. Right. But and when... they're all smoking weed, too. I, well, weed... I mean, could give you... Well, it doesn't make you alert to your, you know... <laughs> doesn't make you poised for a fight. so high, though, that you see somebody approaching you with a machete, and you're like, hey, what's going on here? Like, you just... <laughs> but she snuck up on everybody. She, you know, the girl... I guess. In the bathroom. Yeah. She just turned around, and just... she got whacked in the face with an axe. Excellent effect, by the way. This is a... The special effects were Tom Savini, who also did the special effects on Dawn of the Dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the axe in the face was a good one. I will yeah. admit that that was a good scene. And then Kevin Bacon obviously didn't see her coming. Uh, who else? And I guess with the, the camp owner or whoever. Right. Steve. When he walks up on her, he, because he recognizes her, maybe she catches him off guard because he's like, oh, it's you. So, like, what right. you? so he doesn't anticipate that she's right. about to murder him. But yeah, I just. It, it and then a couple of, of deaths actually happen off screen right, we don't for see, some reason. Yeah. Like we don't see. The girl that is murdered on the archery range and is shot. Like, we don't see how that happens. Right. Um, we don't see the guy that ends up with all the arrows stuck in him on right. the door. Yeah. But it just seems like a lot of strength for someone who, towards the end, <laughs> is sort of struggling to stay in the fight. So, I don't know. I think some of those deaths happen off screen because I guess we were supposed to be trying to figure out who the killer was. Yes. Through this movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, Bill, who is the last guy to be mm-hmm. killed, he's the guy that ends up with all the arrows in him. When he disappears, I think we're supposed to think, oh, maybe Bill is the killer. Right. Um, and then when she finds Bill's body, it's like, okay, I guess mm-hmm. Bill wasn't the killer. Mm-hmm. I think that's why some of those happen off screen, but, or maybe it was just a budget thing. Maybe it's just like <laughs> we can't afford to riddle Bill with arrows. I don't know. Well, and I guess it does sort of play to our, our, our assumptions of who a killer can be, right? So when we see the very naive backpacker. Yes. When we see her murder, what you see is sort of hands that don't look like particularly feminine hands. Yeah, they're pretty gender neutral. They're pretty gender neutral. And it's a flannel. You see sort of the... Something that occurs in both of these films, The torso is just a flannel shirt and jeans and you see boots, like Mm -hmm. work boots. So the assumption is this is a man or a male figure um, acting out these murders. So it does sort of play with that idea of like, this is what your assumption is. And yet it is this, you know, middle-aged rural mom who's just really pissed off about her son dying. But yeah, I just, I think the the only thing that I enjoyed was Ralph, the Harbinger. <laughs> the Harbinger. <laughs> um, which, again, I don't understand how people don't li- listen to the people that you think are crazy because they are the ones telling you the truth. Well, it wasn't just him. The entire the town, whole town was calls like, this Camp, Camp Blood. Blood. Maybe... You know, you walk you into a diner some, and you say, "Hey, where's this? Camp Crystal Lake?" And the record stops, and everybody <laughs> looks at you like, "Bitch, what?" <laughs> and you still continue on your journey. Uh-huh. That's a question. Yeah. So yeah, and then you have Ralph, the Harbinger, saying, classic Harbinger, classic 
sort of on the nose a little it. too on the nose he's like i am a messenger from god you'll You're never all come back die. you are doomed to death god has sent me to tell you this and yet nobody listens they all decide to just that's that's cool we're gonna hang out at this camp though it's not a big deal okay I would have gotten on the back of Ralph's bike and been like, yeah, let's pedal back to town, sir, because... This this does follow the, the cabin in the woods yes. formula pretty closely, except that the characters aren't even well-defined well enough I barely to assign knew their roles names. to them, yeah. except for Alice, yeah. who is the good girl. Mm-hmm. She's the only one who never strips down to her underwear. They don't right. get that far in the Monopoly game right. so that she's taking her clothes off. We never see her smoking pot. No. She doesn't have sex. So she is the virgin figure who is destined to be the final girl. Right. Everybody else, there. there's a fool character, the jokey kid. The one that puts on the native headdress and dances around. Thankfully, is one of the first yeah, to get he killed because he's, a he's super annoying. He's a problem. Um, but everybody else is just bland. They have no character traits. No. Alice gets, there's about two lines about Alice's life where she's talking to Steve. And we find out that she draws and she's thinking about leaving and going back to California. Yeah. Like, that's all we know about her life. Yeah. Which is more than we know about any other character in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no... It's hard to have to sort of connect and be empathetic with any of the characters because, again, you don't really care about any of them. And the way that it's filmed and that sort of... There are times where we are in the perspective of the killer. I feel like our connection is almost more so with that Right, which is what Siskel view. and Ebert yeah. said, that, you know, our sympathies are with the killer. Yeah. You know, the camera is... Almost always from the perspective of the killer. And so we're doing this sort of voyeurism thing, this stalking thing. And the characters, most of them women in their underwear, are just sport. Right. It's almost like a video game. Yeah. Like we're we're the killer and we're hunting these people. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there was a, believe, a Friday the 13th video game a few years ago that came out where that scenario was made literal. Classy. Yeah, exactly. But I agree with you, too. It's not scary. Mm -mm. And I do think part of that is the lack of emotional investment in the characters. Like, we don't, we know they're going to get killed. Right. We don't particularly care. It's just like, oh, let's see how they get killed. That's all the suspense there is. So I think that's part of it. I think part of it is, and this was a deliberate choice on the filmmaker's part, there is no music in this film except when the killer is present. Yeah, yeah. When that (laughs) thing kicks in. So it's like, there's no suspense, because it's like, okay, we know. Right, somebody doesn't die now. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, by the way, the the composer of that theme, whose name I don't have at my fingertips, I, I saw an interview with him where he complained that people say it's chi-chi-chi. It's apparently not chi-chi-chi. Oh, what is it? It's ki-ki-ki, ma-ma-ma. Because he said he took it from, he was watching the film, and when Mrs. Voorhees is doing Jason's voice. Kill her mommy. Kill mommy. Right. Mm-hmm. He took it from kill and mommy. And I, I still think it sounds like Chi-Chi-Chi. Yeah, that doesn't come across it, at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice that you thought about it, though. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's apparently deeply thematic. All right. What else? I did think the moment where she starts speaking in Jason's voice was a little creepy. I found it more funny than creepy. Did you? Yeah, it was just sort of silly. <laughs> Killer mommy! Yeah. It was, you know, trying to be psycho, but wasn't mm-hmm. good yeah. enough to even come close to, to <laughs> do, sort of doing that. Yeah, I did not 
enjoy that at all, really. I thought uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to find something good to say about this yeah, movie. Really I think the moment where I think it's Brenda again, they're all interchangeable. Is lured outside by stupid bitch. The help so me yeah, voice. like somebody screaming, help me! <laughs> oh, like you know. It sounds like a little kid. There are no you screaming, know, help There are me. no children at the camp yet. She is a camp counselor, but there are no children well, at the camp. They're yet. on a lake. There could be a kid who's drowning or something. Well, random ass kid is going to be. There's no one there. You haven't seen anyone this whole time. There's no one there. The kids have not come yet. It is late at night. You're in the bed in your nightgown. You hear, help me. Oh, that's a bummer. Okay, but again, and this is always my problem with you, is you assume everyone knows they're in a horror movie. Even if These I people know, don't know anyone is dead. No. She can't hear the chee-chee-chee-pa-pa-pa music. <laughs> you know, she's a camp counselor. She looks after children. Nope. She hears someone yelling, help me. She's going to go out and look. No, no. At most, what you do is you want put on some clothes <laughs> well two, yes everybody wanders all over this camp without bothering to put their pants on and two go to your other counselors and be like hey i heard something weird can we go check this out as a group together again drowning child the child's not drowning well we know that now i, I would say she knew that, that i i would not have gone out to see <laughs> yes this, no. yes you would no, you are I would not, not that have. heartless yes i am <laughs> i'm like that's a bummer man sorry not going out there if we were both there you'd make me go out yeah i'd yeah. be fine with that mm. i would absolutely be fine with that yeah somebody might need some help why don't you go check that out <laughs> that's how that would go well and then the other chick the one that was dating kevin bacon yeah after they you know committed the grievous sin of having sex mm-hmm. she has to walk across the fucking camp to get to a bathroom apparently mm-hmm. and the sinks aren't working Right. Like, she can't get the water to run so she can wash, to wash her hands. And she's hearing all these random-ass noises in the bathroom, creepy noises if someone's in there with her. And she goes, you know what? This is the perfect time for me to do some plumbing and fix this sink. <laughs> like, bitch, just don't wash your hands and just leave and how about get out of the creepy bathroom? And then goes to the shower stalls to explore for the noise, pulling back the shower curtains dramatically, which is basically yeah. just asking someone to come out and kill you. So I just, no. Okay, again, now I'm in the reluctant role of defender. She thought maybe someone was playing a trick on her. One of the other counselors, like the goofy guy Ned, who had fake drowned earlier in the film just so he could grope whatever girl decided to give him mouth to mouth. So then what I would say... Now, nobody had seen him for about six hours, so that should have been a flag. What I would say to that, and this happens across a number of of horror films, is people have shitty friends. Like, none of my friends, (laughs) we don't play pranks on each other like that. We don't do shit like that because, no, you're just not going to do that. It's like that, what was that Twitter video or something where... Somebody jumps out of a garbage can, dresses him, and then get punched yeah, in the face. Yeah, like that's punches right. In the so face. like that's you don't do shit like that because I'm going to behave as if you are someone attacking me for real. I'm not going to know that this is a prank, so maybe don't do dumb shit like that. <laughs> so yeah, I don't have those friends, and nobody should have those friends, so that you don't have to ask those questions in 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 pivotal moments. <laughs> Okay, well, again, one of the reasons we're doing a double feature this week is because I didn't think we would have that much to There's nothing to say about, say about either of these movies. Not much at all. I mean, you could sort of get into, like, yeah, no, that what? would just be a waste of time. Yeah, I don't even have anything there. Never mind. 
And what were you going to say? You could say something about, like, you know, what, is, what are these films saying about sort of conservative politics, about sexuality and drug, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, fuck off. Like, it's it's not even doing enough to do that. So Right. It's not even sophisticated <laughs> just, enough to analyze yeah. on that level. No. So, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Well, what about the ending? We haven't talked about the ending. What about it? Well, that was the final jump scare was... That uh, she was dreaming? Was Jason jumping out of the water. Carrie did it better. Yeah, that was such a deliberate rip-off of Carrie, <laughs> it should have been the subject of a lawsuit. Yeah, no, that was weak. I mean, yeah, no. They were very obviously like, hey, you know what ending I liked? Carrie. Let's do that. Trick dream sequence. We'll have, you know, the peaceful music, the <laughs> placid scene, and then something jumps up and grabs the final yeah. girl. Mm-hmm. No. This movie did nothing for me. I'm sorry. Did it seem like the kind of movie that someone would have looked at and said, hey, let's make ten sequels to I this? would not think so. But if it's making money, then sure, I see why someone would say, okay, <laughs> let's keep doing Because I don't imagine they cost much to make. It doesn't take a lot of writing or... Right. That's why there are so many you don't horror need, movies you know, is because it's, it's a genre that you can do pretty cheap. Quality actors at the table. Right. So, yeah. You just need some, some you know, fodder for the for the machete. That's all. <laughs> All right, so uh, do you want to watch any more of the films? I believe the third one is in 3D. Why? Well, I, I don't do 3D. <laughs> <laughs> or so you have, like, machetes coming directly yeah, at I, the camera. I can't mm -hmm. do 3D. It just gives me a headache. I don't like 3D at all, and I don't imagine it would be an additive to this. Like, no. It would just be, like, tits coming at you or something. I just, no. No, thanks. It's okay. Okay, any final thoughts on uh, Friday the 13th? It's kind of boring. It sort of was boring, yes. I'm a little bit disappointed in the uh, Halloween offerings this far. I mean, Suspiria was good, but <laughs> this was a, a step down. Okay. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> I, I, you know, I chose this more as cultural artifact sure. than as, Sure, and I appreciate you know, that, okay. yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the next film. I don't want to. <laughs> I want to act as though Which I've you never, have to. you have to admit... Seen is the more interesting movie to talk about. It is not boring. You cannot say this movie was boring. Neither was slavery. Like, I just... <laughs> okay, really? I mean, that doesn't make something good. I just <laughs> Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to Sleepaway Camp. Someone is watching you. Hey, Baba, Reba! Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Sleepaway Camp. You won't be coming home. Yeah, I don't want to talk about this movie at all. <laughs> Why on earth not? Because it is problematic on so many <laughs> levels. I, I, like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how this was even created. Uh, like, who wrote this? Who then sat down and read it and said, yeah, this is a totally good idea. Let's put some money behind this. Okay, well, I, I mean, I can answer some of that. This was written and directed by Robert Hiltzik, uh, otherwise known for, well, more Sleepaway Camp movies. 
This movie has uh, four sequels. Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers. Sleepaway <laughs> Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland. Sleepaway Camp 4, The Survivor. And Return to Sleepaway Camp. With a fifth Sleepaway Camp reunion reportedly in production. Okay. <laughs> sure. It was made for a paltry $350,000. It went on to make $11 million at the box office. Presumably after word of mouth turned it into a must-see cult phenomenon. I don't want to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. I think you're getting hung up on the ending, which... The whole thing! To be fair, is the most memorable part. Let's set the ending aside for now. The whole thing. Let's set the ending aside. not just the ending. And let's just talk about the movie as a whole. Mm Mm-hmm. I love this movie. What? How could you possibly? (laughs) How? Okay. First of all... Sure. There are many things I like about this movie. One of the things I like about this movie is, and this may be what part of what disturbs you, the kids are actual kids. That's a problem. <laughs> it's a serious like problem. Like, you watch something like Friday the 13th and everybody's like 35 right. years old. Right. This, the kids were actual children. Do we know where they are now? Um, Terribly disturbed somewhere? Felissa Rose, who plays Angela, was 13 years old. That's wrong. When she made this movie. That's so wrong. <laughs> Parents should be investigated. Second of all, I like that they talk like kids. I mean, the acting is <laughs> terrible. Not always Oscar caliber. Not people's choice caliber. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so terrible. But they swear a lot. They do. Um, that all feels very authentic to me. Mm-hmm. I love. I mean, you have to. You have to admit. That this movie has more interesting deaths yes. than Friday the 13th. Sure. I mean, they're more interesting, but they are also ludicrous. <laughs> what do you mean? So the one death of the asshole jock who had been teasing Angela and her cousin Ricky, is that his name? Uh, yes. Mercilessly throughout the camp stay goes to take what he calls a wicked dump. <laughs> um <laughs> In the bathroom, and someone sort of jimmies the stall door closed so that he can't get out, and then dumps a hive of bees <laughs> into the, the bathroom. Uh. And they proceed to apparently eat him whole. <laughs> Which bees don't fucking do. That's not what bees do. Bees sting you and you get hives and shit, and if you're allergic, you can die, or if you get enough bites, you can die. But these things were chewing craters through his skin, and bees don't do that. He he looked like the fucking Toxic Avenger when those bees were done with him. They don't do that. So that's not how you die from bees, number one. We call that the Thomas J. Except, no, don't even invoke Thomas J in this because we we respect Thomas J and his death and we will be forever in mourning. And he died because he was fucking allergic to bees, which is how people die from bees. Not because they've hollowed you out and you've become some sort of desiccated tree stump. It just doesn't, that's not, uh, science is not how that works. And you, like, it just, you didn't, because you didn't have to go that far. You could have just been like, oh, he was allergic to bees. Or, oh, he got 80,000 bees. That's not visually interesting. But it's possible. It is within the realm of reality. So it's also just like, okay, that's ridiculous. That's that's not how bees work. But okay. 
And then the other one where they murdered Judy, who was the bitch of all bitches. Yeah, she was a terrible, terrible person. They, I'm saying they deliberately here. They <laughs> smothered her with a pillow and then it's... I think the pillow was just to keep her from screaming or to well, but, the Well, okay, sound. but here's... So, okay, here's... That is a good point because I thought that, but then I thought, here's the thing. The implication is that they shoved a hot curling iron up her vagina. We see them wielding the hot curling iron. We don't know exactly what they do with it. But that in and of itself is not enough to kill someone. I mean, that would hurt like hell, but that's not enough to... Well, if you stabbed, you could stab someone with a hot curling iron. And it would go, are you saying it would go through their skin? With enough force behind it, Okay, again, not a thing that happens. (laughs) So they would have had to also have been smothering her. Like, you have to do the the double tap there. Because you're smothering her so she can't... Okay, but she does scream... She does scream. This person does whatever they yes. do with the curling iron. But what so. I'm saying is the curling iron is not enough to kill someone. You have to also <laughs> then be smothering them to death. Whatever you're doing with the curling iron. Nowhere else in the world is this conversation because happening. Because it's ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> do you know how much you gotta hate a bitch to be like, I'm gonna shove this curling iron She was evil. She was. By but... the way, by the way, that part was apparently originally cast with uh, Jane Krakowski of 30 Rock fame. I can see fame. that. I can see that. And she she quit over the whole curling iron thing. She- Everybody should have quit. Everybody's <laughs> mama should have been like, what the hell? No. My child's not going to participate in this. Though Judy looked like a 40-year-old divorcee and behaved as such. So I don't know how old she was, but she walked tits first. I just can't. The largest side pony I've ever seen in my life. I don't understand this movie. I hate, I just, no. She was such a ridiculous character. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about the uh, the first the first death, which is the cook? Okay, sure. So <laughs> this camp has a known pedophile working for them. Like he does not hide it at all. No, he's not very subtle. When about the it. children arrive and get off the bus, he calls them baldies. <laughs> yes, he says uh, young fresh chicken. I believe yeah, he refers like to that, them right. as head chef Artie, uh-huh. grossest, most obvious pedophile ever. <laughs> and no one is asking any questions, and no one is saying he probably shouldn't be working here. And he, I was, I, there's all kinds of health code <laughs> questions in that kitchen anyway. But okay, so yes. The man who is very much like, what is that horrible saying? If there's grass on the field, you can play. Apparently, Uh, he doesn't even feel there needs to be grass on the field. Yeah, no, no. He literally, a little later, literally, he's had Angela in the pantry. Right. So He walks out of the pantry. Buttoning up his pants. (laughs) Re-buttoning his pants and And doing his belt. Why were you in the pantry? The owner of the camp is standing there watching this and nobody... Nobody thinks anything about this we're just gonna let him molest children (laughs) at this camp and apparently he's not even a good cook so i don't know yeah so right so yes he had lured angela into the sort of walk-in pantry in the kitchen and then got to it real quick was unbuckling his pants when luckily ricky angela's cousin comes in and sort of stops it from happening um and that's when you realize he's gonna die uh so they are boiling the largest pot of water <laughs> I've ever seen in my I don't even I don't even know where you buy I don't, a pot. You that need big. a ladder to get to the top of the pot. I don't think they sell pots like that, but okay. And it's like a cauldron. It's all smoky and like water doesn't look like that when it boils. like uh, so many questions. For corn. Like you just just cook it in batches. There's no need to do this. 
So he's on top of a ladder over this boiling cauldron of hot water for corn. And we see someone, a child, come in, but we don't see their face. We just see their hands. And again, we go back to the sort of androgynous hands and they don't look necessarily female or male. And that person pulls the chair out from under him. He falls to the ground and this big pot of hot water. Pulls the... Falls on top six of foot him. tall yeah. pot of boiling water on top of and himself. then you get like which that is it's not a sure way to kill somebody no like a lot of things had to happen just perfectly yeah for the, him the he had to reach out to grab yeah. the pot of water pull yeah. it onto himself this was not a All guaranteed these kills kill are just ridiculous and then he, he actually isn't dead no they haul him off to the hospital I'm not completely sure why he doesn't tell them who did that to him he seems to be capable of. He's screaming a lot. He is screaming a lot. That would have been a good moment to say, hey, the person who did this to me was X. And apparently he doesn't do that. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, there that's like the least of my questions with this movie. But okay, sure. <laughs> he was he was uh, pretty, pretty well boiled. Though. Yes, there was a nice extended sequence of us watching him scream in pain as his face erupted in postules and scars <laughs> and just terribleness so yeah they they were pretty happy with that special effect yes they were they wanted to make sure we first you see his hands come up and they're all boiled and peeling and everything it's like okay and then they cut away and you think okay maybe that was it no then they cut back to his face his face all the skin is coming off and they leave that shot yeah no we're there for for quite a long time yeah yeah so that's they were like that's really good super give, give me a longer shot of his skin sloughing off. I just... So we should back up. Okay. Okay, we should back... We didn't even talk about the prologue. We didn't talk about the prologue. So here's the prologue. We open on a family. It's a father with his two children, a little boy and a little girl, and they're out on a little sailboat. Yeah. And having a great time. <laughs> the kids push the dad off the boat, and they sort of capsize uh-huh. and are just sort of floating in the water. And then... In their little life preservers. In their little life preservers, the kids. The most irresponsible (laughs) camp counselors, boat drivers ever known to man proceed to just barrel towards this family (laughs) and run them over with a boat. This this lifeguard, this guy is driving the boat and this girl in the bikini beside him is like, let me have a turn driving the boat. Let me have a turn. He's like, no, I can get in trouble for that. And he's like, oh, come on. Nobody's going to know. So he lets her have a turn. And she runs over a family. And she, they're, they're pulling a, a water skier behind them. Who does not want to be doing it. Who, no, it's not, ha- not like, having a good job. She's like, can we please this? stop doing yes, this? No. But the girl now driving the boat is turned around talking to the water skier. For the a enti- long ass time. The entire time. For a, I, don't, I get nervous when people bl- glance at their phone when they're driving. <laughs> for 10 minutes, she is not looking forward in the boat. And the, the water skier is behind the boat screaming, there's a fucking boat in front of you! Nobody's turning around. What is she saying? What is, what is she saying? Still not turning around to look where you're going. And then you run over a family. And then they run over the family and then they just sit in the water idle on the boat, like looking. Not reacting to the fact that you just murdered a father and his child through your stupidity. They're just sitting in the boat like, oh, that was weird. And then the water skier is just floating in the water screaming her head off. Yeah. And this movie doesn't make Doing a lot of acting, that Doesn't girl. make any... Somebody help those people! She was she was really going for the emotion there. Everyone is terrible. <laughs> Flash forward eight years. <laughs> <sighs> 
We're at a well-appointed home mm-hmm. of Ricky, Angela, and Ricky's mother. Do we even know her name? She's a doctor somehow. <laughs> Aunt Martha. Yes. So the kids are going to the camp Arawak. It reminded me of Mount Ararat, which is where Noah's Ark perched. Uh-huh. And I, that, is, I, that was weird to me, but okay. I'm not sure that association is intended. I don't know what the fuck is intended in this movie, okay? Because <laughs> we haven't even gotten there about motivations. Anyway, so Angela and her cousin Ricky and her aunt have obviously been living together since the accident, or they took her in after the accident. And Dr. Martha... Aunt Martha is a character from I don't know what the fuck film because she is totally not in sync she's, with anything she's else in a completely different happening movie in that movie than everyone else. She's so affected and stylized. I do uh, even just her dress. She's like hyper primary colors. She's in like a John Waters movie or like a, a Tim Burton weird movie. Disney villain. Or yeah. something. Like, it's such an odd. And again, it's Desiree like Gould what the, the fuck was on the paper on the, in the script that you read them. I was like, okay, this is how I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm going to act as though I've had a stroke. <laughs> and I no longer know how to speak to people in a normal way. It's such an odd... And I, do, I don't understand. It does, it does not make any sense whatsoever. But somebody obviously told her, yeah, that's working. Go with that. <laughs> but so she's sending them off to camp after she's on the screen for way too long. Because she's, she's just a disturbing figure. And Angela is not really responding or reacting. She's just sort of catatonic. And <laughs> like, why are you sending her to camp when her, her family sort of died near a camp? Like, she probably just doesn't want to go to camp. Or right. To camp. <laughs> and she spends most of her time at camp sitting silently and staring creepily. Yeah, she's got that thousand-yard stare. That's, I... <laughs> And again, we go back to Carrie where I almost thought she had like telekinesis or some shit. Uh Like she was doing something with her mind, but she wasn't. She was just staring (laughs) off into space. I guess like making a mental catalog of, oh, bitch, you on my list now. But like whatever. She's like Arya Stark adding names Right, basically. So so we get to camp and that's when we meet Chef Artie who we know as a pedophile. Mm -hmm. And we meet Judy who just got boobs apparently. And so now she's talking to the older boys and not paying so much attention to Ricky, who they apparently had dated a summer previously. Again, she is a 40-year-old divorcee. <laughs> um, that's when we get the sort of walk-in molestate, attempted molestation uh-huh. and all of that. And through the whole sort of time, the other girls in the camp are very bitter about the fact that Angela doesn't speak yeah. and isn't made to participate in any of the activities and as though she's, like, better than them or something. Like, they are very bitter and angry for, like, 12-year-old girls. I don't understand what their problem is. Yeah, aren't 12-year-old girls that mean? Or Not that mean, I knew. It's mean girls. Not it's, that I know, knew. No. no. Like, okay, that bitch is quiet. Leave her alone. So. Well, the boys are nicer. The boys are dick balls. <laughs> like, I... Here's the thing. They have the nerve <laughs> to want to be, like, assholes when they're wearing crop tops and short shorts. It's just like, really, dude? And there's a lot of, like, grabbing of their own penises and talking. It's just like, there's some weird... Sticking their butts yeah, in kids' faces. Yeah, some weird shit and, happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't... I'm confused. Like, I was just confused for the whole movie. I don't understand what's happening. Kenny is one of the asshole dudes who has been picking on Angela during camp and on Ricky, her cousin Ricky. And he, being an asshole dude, goes out on a, in a canoe with some other girl from the camp and is like, starts rocking the boat and tips the boat over because he's a dick. 
Um, and boys are, he's one of those boys at that age, just like, I'm going to be a dick and that's going to make the girl like me. That doesn't work, by the way. Yeah, no. It just he makes just, you a dick. Just screwed himself out of that date. <laughs> so she swims like off. Like the girl went out in the canoe with you. Right. She, she liked you that much. And, and now then you, you had to tip be a it dick over because right. you're a dick and you're an idiot. So you tip Judy them. says early in this movie something about girls mature faster than boys. Which they do. Yeah. Though Judy, again, is a 40 year old <laughs> divorcee. And she's one of those those ones that looks like they have a coke problem. Like they married rich and they have a little <laughs> bit of a coke problem. It's just a lot of nostril action. Um, so Kenny's in the water now just like laughing at his own jokes and is totally amused with what he did and tipping his boat over and getting the girl wet. And then we see someone emerge out of the water facing him. We don't see the person's face. And then they drown Kenny. Yeah. And Kenny is dead, and we are not sad but that Kenny is dead. Pretty easily drown him. Yeah. I'm, again, you talked about why people didn't put up a better fight when this is Voorhees. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, like, it's really hard to drown somebody. That they wouldn't put up a fight. That and, they wouldn't yeah. put up a fight and yeah. swim away, and yeah. No, well, I'm not sure how that works. Kenny's a bitch. So, Kenny's done. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, one of the cap counselors in his short shorts flips the boat over and finds Kenny's sort of half-rotted-out body, which, again, that happened last night. <laughs> no, he's, yeah, he's... He would not be that decomposed he's got bugs crawling at out this of his point. Nose like, he has a whole last water snake crawling out of his mouth. It's just like... <laughs> I get that you want the shot, but that's not how... That's not how that works. It takes a while for bodies to decompose. Okay, Mr. Wizard. That's I'm just saying! Movie review. What else... Get the wicked dump dude and his stupid death. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about Paul. Right. So Paul is Ricky's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, who is the one that first alerts us that Judy got boobs this summer. But he ends up sort of getting a crush on Angela, despite the fact that she doesn't speak, or maybe because she doesn't speak. We can talk about that. Um, but he tries to engage with her and actually gets her to talk when no one else can. And so they develop this little sort of cute, initially innocent relationship. Paul is actually some actor whose name I don't remember after I looked him up. <laughs> but I recognized him from an episode of The Cosby Show, May It Rest in Peace. He plays Jake in the episode where Theo's friend has cancer. And Jake is the friend that has cancer. And Theo is like freaking out about having to go visit him at the hospital and avoids it for days and days and days. So that's how I know Paul. Paul is Jake with cancer. So he, he had a, a, a big career. Very after this. illustrious. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. And yeah, I believe in that he asks about boobs. Because <laughs> I think they're talking about some of the girls at school. And he's like, tell me how the girls at schools are looking. And particularly how this one girl is like, look, looks in her sweater. Mm. So he's been talking about boobs for a long time. So they develop this like little kid relationship. And he takes Angela on the beach. And they start making out. He starts to feel her up. Mm-hmm. And she's like, please don't do that. And he's like, oh, I'm not doing anything. It's fine. <laughs> Which, dudes, don't. Just don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> you are actually doing something, and I'm asking you to stop, but okay. Well, that's how you get to the Supreme Court. Right, yeah. Keep a calendar <laughs> on the beach with Angela. Uh, so then we get a horrible flashback <laughs> that just, I, I still don't understand why, but okay. So Angela is basically having an out-of-body experience while Paul feels her up because that's super sexy. And we flash back to 
a time when Angela and her brother are really little and they are watching their father with his gay lover in bed. Yes. Gently caressing each other. Not yes. actually doing anything. Well. <laughs> because, because God forbid we show gay people actually engaging in sexual activity. They are just always sort of gently touching each other. Um, <laughs> so the kids are watching this scene, mm-hmm. laughing and sort of giggling. And then we... Go to this other moment where Angela and her brother are sitting on a... Her brother Peter. Her brother Peter are sitting on the bed. And he's just sort of moving his finger, his pointer finger, closer to her in this like weird E.T. moment. (laughs) And I guess the implication is that he touches her at some point, but we don't see that. Mm, Yeah, I'm not sure about that. It's a weird... But like, what is... Then what what is he doing? Uh, I I don't know. See, there's... Way too many questions for this movie to be this weird. <laughs> but anyway, so the bed is sort of turning and you're sort of... The camera's twirling right. around them, right. Mm-hmm. So you see Angela, you see Peter, you see Angela, you see Peter, and they sort of become the same person, which I guess should have been just sort of first hint. foreshadowing. So what the hell was happening in this movie. Um, so obviously she freaks the fuck out and is like, okay, I don't, I'm going to leave. And Paul's like, well, what, what, we're not doing anything. What's wrong? <sighs> next day at camp angela's sitting on the sidelines where everyone else is playing in the lake Mm -hmm. and through the whole film she has not gotten in the water she doesn't take showers with the other campers right it's been a whole thing well she you know she might have a little fear of water right well judy assumes that it's because she hasn't had gotten her pubes yet which (laughs) classy judy um so meg one of the camp counselors who is old enough to know better and judy go over and grab her and then throw her in the lake. Yeah. Where she is flailing around and freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Until Ricky, her cousin, comes over to save her. On the way back, some little kids, like, throw sand at her. Shouldn't do that. Yeah, those little kids, that was a mistake. That was that a mistake. Out. That was absolutely a mistake. What that means is that those bitches are all now on the list. Yeah. <laughs> and those kids that throw sand, they're like eight years they're, old. They're little baby they're, kids. They're, they're the little kids in the camp. <laughs> And it doesn't matter. No, if you're old enough to be a dick, you're old enough to die. So the first to go is Meg, the yeah. camp counselor who threw her in the water. Who let's? I mean, Meg. This is Judy's buddy yeah. and evil here. Yeah. Meg's got her own shit going on because Meg is hooking Apparently, up on a date yeah. with Mel, who's the like 65 year old owner of this camp. He wears black knee high socks with shorts. <laughs> There is nothing sexy about this man. He's chewing on a cigar the whole time. And as the deaths are piling up, he's just wanting to keep it quiet so that the camp doesn't suffer from bad PR. Like, he right. is, there's yeah. nothing no, sexy he's, or he's attractive about character. this man. But they have a hot date. So she goes to take a shower to get ready for her date with the old camp owner who mm-hmm. wears the black knee-high socks. And she's stabbed through the shower. Yeah. In the back. They basically just sort of crack open her spine there. Yeah, like a zipper. Like, yeah. just got to pull it down and... Mm-hmm. And that's the end of Meg. Yeah. It's pretty nice. So there's like a camp social that night. One of the counselors has to take the little eight-year-old campers or whatever <laughs> out to the campsite and camp with them instead of going to the social. So they're all sleeping out, and, you know, around a campfire or whatever. Two of the little campers is like, bitch, it's cold outside. I want to go back, which I feel you. Um, yeah, because camping kind of sucks, it really. It sucks. Ball. It is not fun. Um, and they just have, like, they don't even have tents. It's just sleeping bags. Like, no, we're not doing this. So he, the camp counselor gets up, takes the two kids who are cold, and takes them back to the cabin, leaving the four or however many other little kids sleeping alone in the fucking woods by themselves. Yeah. How's that work out? He comes back. <laughs> 
and they have been butchered to shit. Mm-hmm. They have been stabbed many, many, many times. There was there had been a hatchet lying there. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's I think it was the hatchet it made that was used. Pretty quick work of those yeah. little kids, and then he vomits at the scene <laughs> of carnage. Which so wait a minute, I want to go over some things here. Okay. okay. So the the cook who you know tried to molest Angela is killed. Yes. The dick jock who I believe he threw a water made, balloon at who her. threw water balloons at Angela is killed. Yes. The other kid that was making fun of Angela in the canoe is killed. Yes. Meg and Judy who were super mean to Angela are both killed. Yes. The little eight year olds <laughs> who threw sand at Angela are killed. Yes. Do we have any suspects? We do not. Well, we have one. <laughs> the old ass, knee high wearing ass camp owner thinks that it's Ricky, thinks that it's Angela's Ricky. cousin. He's so sure that he beats the shit out of Ricky. He looks, he beats that kid like he's an alpha gorilla. That he is really beating does. On, like his arms are just, his he's fists just are just pounding flailing. He's just pounding. On this 12-year-old kid. And he's so proud that he was able to capture and stop the killer that he's so sure. And then he goes, I gotta get out of here. (laughs) And then flees the scene, leaving this child behind to presumably die. He doesn't get very far, though. He did not, because he is stabbed in the throat with an arrow, Yeah, he gets an arrow through the throat, yep. Archery ranges are very dangerous places at summer camps. Here's what I've learned about camps. Okay. One. We have serious infrastructure problems. <laughs> All of these camps are run down to shit, okay? You want to talk about broken windows policing? There should be all kinds of fucking police walking around these camps because they're all falling the fuck apart and people are dying all over the place. Where the police at? That's what there, I was There thinking. was one cop in this movie. Who was fucking useless. <laughs> who you said, oh, yeah, it's fine. You just go ahead and go away. And he's like, okay, I'll go away. <laughs> Um, two, <coughs> teenagers make terrible camp counselors and should not be in charge of anyone else's child because they will leave your child in the woods to be hacked to death or they will mentally and physically abuse your child because they just don't like that they seem a little uppity. And they apparently hire pedophiles mm-hmm. and nef- all kinds of just nefarious people are running camps. There is no responsible supervision There's of any no kind There's no responsible supervision on. of any kind. Your children are just running through the wild it would be better if they were like some sort of lord of the fly situation because then at least you know there's some integrity to it but like just not good was this your experience at summer camp it was not hell no because i would have called my mom the first day and been like bitch no no we gotta you gotta pick me up this is not good no Mm-mm. creepy old cook took me in the pantry yeah that, that was not my experience at all i was in art making bracelets and shit. Like, I wasn't... I also did not like the water, but it was not because I had had a traumatic experience with the water. And no one... Well, they did force you to get... You did have to get in the water. Okay, see? Yeah. (laughs) Is this triggering for you? Do we need to stop talking about this now? No. It's not triggering because so much of it is not possible. (laughs) Okay, well, I think think we're we're more or less at the end of the film. Mm Mm-hmm. But let's let's review a little bit. So t- everything you've just said to me, this sounds like an important movie. Important how about bullying? Really about adolescence and sexual awakening and sexual confusion. Mm-hmm. A lot of major themes going on in this movie, mm-hmm. even before we get to the most memorable final scene 
in cinematic history. You say memorable, and I say borderline, if not completely transphobic and homophobic. But okay. <laughs> so everybody's been dying. Uh-huh. We're at the end. And finally, the counselors are like, something's going on. And they're sort of going to look and round up all of the remaining counselors and campers. Right. The the one halfway decent counselor, that guy with the... Short shorts. Well, they all have short shorts. His are egregious. But there's, there's one fairly nice dude counselor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He gets... I, I think what he gets is the phone call from the other guys saying, hey, all my eight-year-olds... Are dead. Just got minced in their sleeping bags. And I vomited on their dead bodies. <laughs> and I'm going to have to explain the fact that I left them in the woods by themselves, but okay. So, yes, he starts rounding everybody up and it's like, hey, there seems to be a situation we need to deal with here. Right. In the meantime, Angela runs into Paul and she's like, hey, meet me by the beach. Oh, wait wait a minute. Oh, we just skipped some major plot point here. Oh, what did, what did we, we skipped Paul and Judy. Oh, yes. Okay, so Paul being a dude... <laughs> Because he wasn't getting any from Angela, decides, oh, I'm just going to go over here and make out with Judy because she's been throwing it my way, like, through the whole movie. Well, Judy moves in, you know, He did not have to say yes. He could say no. You could recognize that she is being, you know, manipulative and just gross and not respond. He chooses to go for the easy lay, which is what some dudes do. So he's in the woods, and they're making out, and Angela comes upon them and sees it and obviously runs away in yeah. horror. And Paul is all, oh, I'm sorry, it didn't mean anything, and I hate her, and blah, 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 blah. Your tongue she was, seduced me. Her tongue was down your throat, dude, She please. pointed her new tits at me. And it's like, come up with something better than that, <laughs> please. So Angela, at first I was like, oh, she's going to forgive him because she invites him to the beach, but then we find out that she has other plans. <laughs> and I... <laughs> So he's like, meet me at the beach at like nine o'clock or whatever. Yeah. So they meet at the beach and Angela's like, okay, let's go skinny dipping. Let's take off our clothes and go get in the water. And of course, Paul's like, all right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And excitedly takes off his clothes. And then the counselors are all out looking for the kids and they come upon Angela and Paul. (laughs) And Angela's sitting (laughs) on, on the beach and Paul has his head in her lap. Yeah. And she's... They're both naked. Humming creepily. Mm-hmm. Singing him a little and song. And sort of stroking his hair. And we can't really see what's going on. And they say, the cance- the counselors come up and they're like, Angela? She gets up. We see Paul's head fall to the ground. She's obviously <laughs> decapitated this boy. And then the camera zooms out. Uh-huh. And we see a fucking penis. <laughs> And one of the counselors says, she's a boy. She's a boy. And her face is contorted into some weird, animalistic, horrible thing. Like she's screaming and yeah. making this she noise. She doesn't look human. That she is looks inhuman. demonic. She's covered in blood. And they are lingering on the fact like of her naked body. or And the pronoun usage here is fucked. Um, <laughs> for a while. Yeah. And then the screen sort of just gets freezes like freezes on, on that her scene. Screaming um, face. Yeah, the counselors, they don't yell out, oh my god, she, she cut someone. this kid's head off. No, it's oh my god, she's a boy. Yeah. That's that's the that moment of real horror. horror and shock. That is the monster. On which this film ends. Yes. Fucked the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> on so many well we get levels. a little we get intercut with that iconic oh yes i'm final sorry scene. yes we get some backstory yes so we flash back to right after 
the boating accident with the family. Right. We see what we think to be young Angela. Um, going to live with Aunt going Martha. Going to live with Aunt Martha. And Aunt Martha is talking about how much she wants a little, how much she wanted a little girl. Mm-hmm. And Ricky's going to be so happy to have a sister. And then she says something like, so, don't you think Angela is a nice name? It means angel, Peter. <laughs> so, this bitch uh-huh. was like, I don't want another little boy. I just, I just inherited this little boy, but I don't really want a boy. I want a girl. Your name is not Peter. Your name is Angela. So, the little girl didn't survive. Her brother Peter actually survived the accident. But because the aunt wanted a girl, she just said, okay, your name is Angela. And yeah, you're now my daughter. you're your sister. Mm-hmm. Like happens. It except it what? <laughs> <laughs> but does it? Because I imagine a body was taken out of that lake uh-huh. and could have been identified as as the uh, girl. As yes, Angela. Mm-hmm. So there theoretically was a funeral for Angela. Yes. Which one would it think that Ricky might have gone to? Right. Or but even one would think that somehow Rick would know. That his uncle and cousin died in this boat accident. But even if Ricky didn't know, the world know Like, Angela is legally dead. Uh, yeah, presumably. Mm-hmm. You can't just make a person a girl. A person that's already, a, like, a damn half-person already. Like, this child is, like, ten years old. There's birth certificates. There's all kinds of shit. Now this person is a girl. You're just gonna... I just... I have so many questions. Okay, and so I just... Because here's a... a Right. So then this is where you're like, you start to reflect back on what you just watched. And you're like, oh, that's fucked up. (laughs) Because then you go back to the flashback scene of the kids watching their dad and his gay lover in bed. So then are you saying that that somehow. Some kind of gender confusion. Somehow, oh, now the kid is fucked up and and Mm -hmm. doesn't know whether he's male or female. Right. Yeah. And then you have the sort of implied incest between the brother and the sister. Uh Is that somehow. And I just. And at no point are we given any clarity about who Angela ident- or how Angela identifies right, which is which is why the pronoun thing is right. impossible to resolve, right? Because we don't know how Angela slash Peter identifies actually identifies. Peter was not a transgender woman. No, Peter was forced to, to be transition a, right to be a girl to cross dress. Yes, but after doing that for eight years, we don't know how. Angela slash Peter identifies at the end of the movie when they are standing there covered in blood with this dead boy's head on the ground. It's a conundrum. It, uh, no, it's bad. It's, I think it's irresponsible. Because, like, <laughs> just... Because what you're saying is the monster is this, let's call it, trans person. Right. And what you're saying is that somehow gender confusion leads to murder. Yes. And this is not the first time that that message, or the last time, that message would be sent by Hollywood. We have Psycho. Psycho is all over that. Yes. Silence of the Lambs hits that theme. Uh, A Brian De Palma movie you haven't seen called Dress to Kill Mm -hmm. hits that theme. There is, yeah, there is a long (laughs) fucked up history of... Allegedly transgender characters being serial killers in Hollywood. Yes, and a lot of a lot has been written about this, and a lot of people have justifiably taken issue with this. Mm-hmm. Here is Willow McClay, a transgender woman, writing at Clio. Sleepaway Camp is a curtain-yanking picture with a reveal that works only to make a woman with a penis a vessel for horror. 
It is a trap narrative rechristened in the structure of the slasher genre. The film asks its viewers to build sympathy towards Angela before transforming her into a monster in the final few frames. By making Angela a whipping post for constant teasing, she becomes the central character. In horror movie tropes, she is set up to be the final girl someone you rally around when she is eventually confronted with the incarnation of evil. However, Hiltzik subverts this idea by making Angela not the victim, but the killer, and, in what the movie suggests is a worse transgression, not a girl, but a boy. Sure, this surprise plot point separates Sleepaway Camp from countless other slasher films of its day, but more importantly, it is also its undoing. The film portrays the transgender female body as monstrous and murderous. Exactly. It's. I just think it's really irresponsible. Like, I can't even get... I get how it's campy and funny, I guess, and and that there is this sort of subversion that's that the, he's trying to get at, but I think it is at the expense of the trans community. It is, but that those issues would not have been on anybody's radar in nineteen eighty. But even still, it's fucked unless up. Unless they were actually in the trans community, it's, it's still like it's. Why would you even for the shock? That's all. the 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 writer director has admitted that he was like I. He was like, I came up with the beginning of this movie, and I came up with the ending, and I wanted to leave them on a shock that everyone would be talking about when they left the theater, and then I filled in the middle. Mm-hmm. But you filled in the middle with things that were building a narrative around sort of gender confusion and gender identity that was inherently Very, very haphazardly, very, because what without you're, any care. You're saying is you're you're saying that, you know, transgender identity stems from trauma right transgender identity stems from some sort of exposure to what would be you know some would consider deviant sexual behavior right so like that's fucked up that's that's not okay and the idea that oh the audience will be on her side because we all think she's going to be the final girl until boom no no she's a boy right and and then we somehow turn on her okay so i obviously secretly agree with you let me offer a challenging narrative okay that this is a story of empowerment that this is a transgender woman fighting back against bullying, against sexual repression, against predatory men. But we don't know that this is a transgender woman. We At no point are, do we know how Angela Peter identifies. My, my only textual evidence for that is that in the sequels, it is made clear that Angela identifies as a woman. Okay. Um, and in fact, I think Angela actually transitions mm-hmm. surgically in the second or third. I have not I have not seen these movies, mm-hmm. let me make that clear too. Mm-hmm. But from what I've read, Angela identifies as a woman and lives the rest of her life as a woman. Mm-hmm. Played apparently in the sequels by Bruce Springsteen's daughter. I don't know. Okay. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's all I have there as far as and that's fine. But this movie, as a standalone film, does not speak to that at all. No, it does. And what it does speak to is terribly, terribly problematic child abuse on the part of Aunt Martha to and then force this boy to live as a girl. If you're gonna kill somebody, kill Aunt Martha. The person that is forcing you to well, live life as a girl. Speaking of which, Aunt Martha is herself part of this just kind of random gender confusion that's thrown into this movie. Mm-hmm. Because as several people have pointed out, Desiree Gold basically plays her like a drag queen. She's very draggy. Yes. yes. She was played by an actress, but she plays her like a very campy drag yeah. queen. I'm all about and would totally be behind a weird you know socially awkward girl going around and killing all the people that are 
making fun of her and bullying her. Absolutely. Yes, bitch. Get it. I am totally behind a transgender character killing all the people that are bullying and abusing. Absolutely. All totally behind it. This, I feel, makes that character the monster. I don't think it's empowering in that way. I think it's dehumanizing. And just, I just, movie's fucking weird. There's just <laughs> a lot of choices I'm just like, I don't even understand. I don't understand. Like, I feel like maybe the, uh, and again, we could maybe talk about that these were the times and we just weren't having these conversations then. But there are all these little breadcrumbs dropped throughout that uh-huh. I think are supposed to mean something. But because they weren't developed or thought out or connected really in any way, they were just sort of plopped in. Like what? Like, again, the the scene between the dad and his lover. The scene between the two kids on the bed that you don't know if the implication is incest or if it's something else. So there are all these, like, it's just like, okay, well, are you trying to say something? Are you tr- Or are you just throwing in things that you think are, quote unquote, shocking? I don't know. I just... I do not think there was a very sophisticated plan here as far as what the movie was trying to say i think you're right i think there was just a lot of random tropes of gender confusion sexuality confusion thrown in i i I agree with you on that it's a weird ass movie and for all the talk that we hear about judy's tits like she's in a bathing suit a couple times but for the most part she's fully dressed and i don't think we see any other girls scantily clad what you see is boys in crop tops and short shorts grabbing their dicks well unfortunately that was the fashion of the time yes but it's focused on like it's it's a point well okay but to me that is a point in this movie's favor i mean i think before the final scene Mm -hmm. it's possible to see this movie as this kind of almost sweet narrative of sexual awakening Mm -hmm. on the part of angela which is not played for titillation Mm -hmm. it's not exploitative at all and i think we have the bullying narrative about how kids are bullied for being different Mm -hmm. and how some of them might react in extreme ways to that i just (laughs) i don't find it sweet i i think maybe in this attempt at quote-unquote, sort of inverting the standard tropes, the director was like, okay, well, let's focus and hypersexualize the boys. And I think that's where we get the, like, those are super short shorts, like, barely shorts at that point, their underwear, and crop tops. And I don't think a lot of dudes were walking around in crop tops. And, like, high-ass crop tops, not even, like, they're, like, like, right under the nipple Mm -hmm. crop tops. And boys sort of jostling around with each other like i think I, I i think that they were maybe trying to say something there and it, but again it's like you you're not doing enough with it well i think the entire movie is just steeped in this kind of notion of adolescence as this very sexually confusing time mm-hmm. whereas there's this this sort of free-floating sexual energy floating around that nobody knows what to do with so you have those very homoerotic scenes mm-hmm. with the boys um and you have the girls testing out their powers of sexuality and it's a weird ass movie (laughs) (laughs) but aren't you glad to know this movie exists no i don't think you need to know that this movie exists i really didn't no i think you did i really didn't no (laughs) not at all uh let's talk about the actual shooting of that ending because it's one of those things that you you look at that final image of Angela slash Peter mm-hmm. naked, screaming, whatever, and you're like, what the hell am I looking at? Yes. Because it's weird. Yes. Her head does not look right. It does not look the right size yeah. for that body. You can't quite figure out what is happening with that image. So here is uh, Scott Tobias writing at The Dissolve, explaining how they achieved this effect. The idea to have young Rose... 
this is Felissa Rose, the, the actress playing Angela. The idea to have young Rose wear a strap-on was rejected oh firmly and understandably by the girl's mother. Ugh. And an attempt to mold a penis out of clay was also rejected. The solution was both ingenious and disturbing. The effects team made a mold of Rose's face with two glass eyes and slapped it on the body of a drunk college student. As if appearing in the nude with a girl's twisted face as a mask weren't traumatic enough, this extra also had to have the hair shaved off his body. Those who were present remember him crying throughout the process, but such are the trials of creating great art. This sounds like a terribly traumatizing experience for everyone involved. Why did he have to be drunk to do this? Question. He, he had to get drunk to do this. That's what That's I'm saying. What they, Anybody that has yeah. to, like, drink to do a scene. He was an extra that they probably paid about 20 bucks and brought in. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that scene. At the point where you're asking, is it inappropriate to put a strap on on this 13-year-old actress? <laughs> That's a wrap. Shut it down. <laughs> like, you have crossed a line, man. But I find it interesting that Felissa Rose's mother, apparently, that was the line. Just putting a strap on or a clay penis on my daughter, that's a bridge too far. Everything else in the movie is okay. This is why we have movies about stage moms ruining their children. (laughs) And whoever this extra was who was traumatized by shooting this scene, you know, my thoughts are with him because that's... Nightmares for the rest of your life. You never forget that. You just came from fucking Nam, dude. (laughs) No. Waking up in cold sweats. But again, doesn't all of this somehow add up to just the most amazing movie? Like, you look at this and you're like, how does this even exist? There were so many decisions made along the way where someone said, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's do this. Somebody said that about the KFC bowl. (laughs) Like, these things, what I'm saying is just because something makes you ask questions doesn't mean that it should exist or that it's good or that it's interesting or that it's particularly smart or insightful. It just means why. (laughs) Why did we do this? Is this good for humanity? And I would say no. So this movie is the KFC bowls of with a strap a, on. <laughs> just a lot of shit thrown in. Because that's what the fuck it is. <laughs> Nobody involved is getting a Glad award anytime soon. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Okay. Any any uh, final thoughts? I don't thoughts? have shit else to say. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that was. I feel like the second week of our Halloween movie marathon has not been a tremendous success. No, it has made me want to get off this train <laughs> immediately. If this is what I've been missing, I'm I'm better for it. I'm actually okay. Which one did you enjoy more? Neither. I enjoyed the end when I didn't have to watch any either of these films again. I did not enjoy any. Uh, no, no. I should have listened to the Harbinger. <laughs> Don't watch these movies. I'm a messenger of God. You are doomed. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Nakia, this uh, this week did not seem to be a tremendous success. No, it was an epic fail. <laughs> Pretty epic fail. So I think what we need to do is inject a little class into the proceedings. (laughs) So what we need is something old and British. Okay. So next week, Nikki and I will be watching The Innocents, Jack Clayton's 1961 adaptation of one of literature's greatest ghost stories, Henry James' The Turn of the Screw. The Innocence does not seem to be available for streaming anywhere currently, but you may be able to find it on demand from your cable provider, or there are versions of varying quality and questionable legality on YouTube. 
In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, or leave us a review on iTunes. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a movie Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. There should be more films of women stabbing men. Why aren't there more of those? And I, actually, I know why there aren't more of those, because we as a culture cannot accept that. But <laughs> there should just be more films of women stabbing the shit out of men. There are some. Maybe we will we will add them to the list. So you would enjoy that. So I think, would... well, it would at least be a different dynamic. Having a woman who is, like, stalking men and murdering them. <laughs> well, right, because this whole reversal, like, the knife is the penetrator, and so then right. the woman being the... So, yeah, I think that would be interesting. Okay. You and I could make our own. For real? Yeah. Well, I have well, no, almost... not for real. You're not, actually, you're not allowed to actually stab men. I've, apparently, I've almost stabbed you anyway, since you... I sleep with a knife. Yeah, okay. Um... We're going to go there. And the first time, I guess, I hadn't told you that there was a knife in the bed and you almost stabbed yourself. Yeah. But now you know that it's there. I think I had been out of town, and while I was out of town... Right. You, were sleep- you had decided you needed to sleep with a butcher knife <laughs> under your pillow. And then when I came back, you didn't tell me that, and then you forgot to take the butcher knife out of the bed. So I, like, put my arm, you know, into the bed and nearly sliced myself open from wrist to shoulder. That would have been hard to explain to the cops. Yes, it would have, and but... I would have blamed you. <laughs> It's useful. You never know when you're going to have to stab a bitch. You never know. And I like you thinking that somehow, if someone broke in, you would not only wake up quickly enough. And be aware. And be aware enough of what was happening <laughs> to grab that knife and yes. be able to put up a fight. I would switch you into ninja mode. You don't have that training. I, you, no, but it would just come to me, though. Just instinct? It would you just think be would instinctual. Just I would just be like, oh, okay, somebody's breaking in and I need to stab them with my knife. <laughs> and know exactly where to stab them to murder them. <laughs> where it hurts the most. Yes, absolutely. Okay.